0: well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed welcome to another edition of bearing arms cam and company my name is cam edwards i'm glad you're with us on the program today we're going to be spending some time with uh, chuck michelle uh, head of the california rifle and pistol association also the lead attorney in one of the umpteen legal challenges now to uh, Illinois' ban on so-called assault weapons and large-capacity magazines. The uh, Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals um, declined to uh, overturn a a judge's decision keeping this law in place, at least for now. But you've got other cases out there heard by a different U.S. District Court judge uh, last week, Judge Stephen McGlynn, Uh, and uh, Chuck Michelle is involved in one of those cases brought by uh, FFLs of uh, Illinois, We'll talk about that, as well as some California cases that are still percolating out there. I'm kind of surprised, actually. We haven't heard from Judge Roger Benitez on some of the uh, cases that are pending before him right now. But we're going to discuss all of that and more with uh, none other than Chuck Michelle coming up here in just one moment. Before we do, however, here's something we have to really think about. What is happening with the banks? It's literally crazy. Can you imagine what this is going to do to the retirement savings of America? Well, I want to tell you what I heard from Augusta Precious Metals. Gold buying on fire right now because people want gold IRAs to protect their retirement savings. And get this, if you have 100000 plus saved for retirement, Augusta will pay you in pure gold to learn how gold IRAs can protect you. That's a big deal, a pure gold coin for free. Reach out to Augusta Precious Metals today and learn how you can get started with gold. Don't let Ben failures get you down. Get this free gold and get some peace of mind. Just call 855-222-4997 to learn whether gold can help protect your retirement and get your free gold coin. That's Augusta Precious Metals at 855-222-4997. Again, 855-222-4997. Now let's talk about uh, something else that is precious to all of us, our right to keep and bear arms, our ability to protect and defend our families and those that we love. Chuck Michelle, one of those attorneys, fighting for our right to do so in courts across the country. And again, very pleased that uh, Chuck could spend some time with us today on Cam and Company to talk about some of the cases that he's involved in. Take a look and a listen. Chuck, thank you so much, sir, for coming on the program. It was good talk with you today.
1: Always a pleasure, Cam. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
0: I, don't, I barely know where to start, but uh, uh, actually, I do. We're going to start in Illinois. Um, let's let's talk first about uh, a case that you are not directly involved in, right? This is a Beavis versus Naperville, Seventh Circuit uh, um, on Tuesday, um, rejected a, uh, a now, now help me out here. They rejected an emergency appeal, right? Well, this was not the sort of standard appeal of a temporary restraining order that uh, we might think about. This was kind of a uh, an unusual remedy that uh, that the plaintiffs were asking for here.
1: Right. Well, when you when you file a case, you can ask for an injunction pending the case being resolved through to a judgment. That's what they did in this case in the district court. They asked for an injunction. The court denied that injunction. So they took what's called an interlocutory appeal that means they, they go on appeal even though the district court case is still in court and still moving. They went up to the 7th circuit at, to to appeal the denial of the motion for injunction in the district court and then they asked the 7th circuit court to issue an injunction pending the appeal when they would do the normal briefing schedule on the appeal with an opening brief or re- opposition brief or reply brief and it can take months. And so they asked this court for basically a very unusual remedy, which is an injunction pending appeal. It's it's very difficult to get one of those, particularly when you're appealing from an injunction that you that was denied in the lower court. And so that's basically what happened yesterday. They the court ruled, the Seventh Circuit ruled just with one line, no analysis, the motion for a request for an the motion for an injunction pending appeal is denied. That's what typically happens when you ask for that kind of expeditious uh uh intermediate you know remedy immediately uh before you even go through the briefing process so okay the okay. news went out there the news was out there covering this as if it was a big win for the state it's not it doesn't really mean much at all other than unfortunately the plaintiffs in that case are going to have to wait longer cuz i sympathize with those folks they are being you know deprived of their living because the law stops Put a lot of gun stores out of business, particularly the ones in Naperville. Uh, so that na- that will now go on to the normal appellate cycle. They could conceivably ask the Supreme Court to to enjoin a pending appeal in the Seventh Circuit too. But again, it's a very, very, very rare remedy, uh, and I don't think the Supreme Court's going to do that. Even though they might want to take a, a black rifle case at some point. But uh, so now this this uh, Beavercreek Neighborville case will be. Just the way a normal appeal appeal is. And hopefully by the time that briefing schedule is set up, our cases, the four cases that are now in Southern District of Illinois challenging the new Illinois uh, magazine and uh, black rifle ban will be in the court of appeal and they'll all be consolidated. Five cases will be consolidated into one and we'll argue on the same day. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's that I appreciate the clarification
0: because this is confusing with umpteen different lawsuits out there. And then we got these state level lawsuits. The uh, Illinois State Supreme Court going to hear those, I think, in May. Um, but let's talk about those other four lawsuits because, uh, April 12th, there was a major court hearing in East St. Louis to Stephen McGlinn uh, hearing those four cases, right? And a request for a preliminary injunction. I, I had the opportunity to uh, not listen in, but to, uh, there was a, a reporter in the, A room, I guess, who was uh, live tweeting what was going on. Based on his account and some of the other press accounts that I've seen, it sure sounded, Chuck. And I realize, you know, you 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 can't, (laughs) you you don't want to read too much into uh, a judge's questions, but it sure sounded like Judge McGlynn was really skeptical, uh,
1: not only of this ban
0: but the state's argument in defense of this ban.
1: He he absolutely was. Uh, You know, it's funny when you get a judge who like has actually shot a gun you know knows a little bit about guns it's like a t- an entirely different conversation than when you're dealing with a judge who has never fired a gun in their life uh, and judge McGlynn has clearly knows how a gun works you know and so the quest the level of questions that he asked just showed that he could see through some of the games that were being played by the state not 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 the state attorneys but the legislature when they passed this thing He's like, well, why are you banning this? Why are you banning that? This isn't used in crime. That helps old people hold a gun straight. But, you know, he knew what these features that that wind up getting a gun prohibited do. And he knew enough about uh, the different rifles. For example, uh, the state says, well, the AR-15 is just like the M-16. And the judge says, essentially, which m 16 because he knew that there is a standard issue M-16 that's issued to the military troops. And then there are other variations, because it's all built on an AR platform. You can, it, you know, you can have a, a, a dozens of different configurations. And so depending on what configuration your AR is, and what configuration an M-16 is, they're alike or not alike at all. So the fact that he got that, I mean, a, a separate and aside, I mean, from the fully automatic versus semi-automatic right. distinction, which is about as fundamental as it gets. Uh, but the fact that he got that and understood those nuances and and, and the, the differences really tells you something. And he was just really not uh, receptive to the state's arguments. Uh, he saw through most of those. And I think he gets it. So I'm very hopeful, you know, knock on wood here i think we're going to get a positive ruling out of uh of that court you know it also seems like uh
0: judge roger benitez out in california seems to get these issues as well and i know the last time that we spoke um there had just been a hearing I think it was three different cases. Uh, and we were talking about a fourth case, Boland, uh, challenging the uh, handgun roster and some of the, you know, micro-stamp revisions, things like that. Since we spoke, the judge in the Boland case uh, has issued his decision. Again, a, a big win for uh, for gun owners. Uh, but we haven't heard anything from Judge Benitez on those other three cases, the what, Rody versus Bonna, Miller
1: versus Bonna. Uh, what was the third case that's out there, Chuck? Duncan. Duncan versus a Bonna. Case, CRPA's magazine case. And then there's a fourth one challenging Billy clubs, and I always forget the plaintiff's name in that case. I apologize to them if they watch this, but uh, that's an interesting case about you know because the right to keep and bear arms is not just firearms; it's it's arms, bearable arms, and a Billy certainly is one. Uh, and so are knives. There was a switchblade case recently filed in California, and all of those really really should they you know they should prevail because uh, these uh, these particular products not firearms are they're not used in crimes. I mean, plus nobody knows what a billy is. Is that a baseball bat? Is it is it a bat bat if you have a glove next to it, but it's a billy if you don't. I mean, it's uh it it gets kind of silly. But yeah, there's four major cases pending Judge Benitez, in front of Judge Benitez. Then we got the the bolt the CRPA got the Bolin V Bonta decision striking down the roster. We may have to do a separate segment just on that because the state is playing some interesting games with micro stamping now. They're not appealing the micro stamping requirement, uh, the, the striking down of the micro stamping requirement. They're just trying to say that you have to have a loaded chamber indicator and a magazine disconnect in order to sell a handgun in California. And there's a there's a few of those on the market, not a lot, and they're not uh, certainly not amongst the the guns, the handguns that are commonly possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes, i.e., self-defense. So this, this, what the state is trying to do to get around Heller and Bruin is say, well, we're not banning guns. We're just saying you have to have these two features in order to sell a gun, which is, you know, a gun ban with a mustache. They're just right. changing the nomenclature so that it sounds different and they can try and make a different argument. But the, at the end of the day, if you have to have those two devices, that's there's there's thousands of other models that can't be sold. So uh, we'll see how this morphs, what this morphs into on, in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And obviously, we will be fighting scorched earth to uh, to, to keep that, that roster law uh, uh, struck down. Because for years, it's deprived people of the ability to choose a handgun that's appropriate to their individualized needs. You know, ergonomics, disabilities, size, hand size, uh, all the different factors that go into choosing a, a, a firearm for your individual circumstances, there there hasn't been those kind of that kind of range of choices. so we we really are we need to hold on to that and get more guns on the market uh, available on the California market absolutely.
0: Um you, know, go back to the micro stamping. Our, I was a little surprised that uh, California doesn't seem to be defending the micro stamping law what do you think is the uh, the rationale behind that decision uh chuck the, the the sort of throwing throwing that to the wolves and uh, and trying to defend the hankin roster on these other aspects
1: well i'd like to think that they're smart enough to see that it, they can't win but i wouldn't give them that much credit and interestingly <laughs> enough a, a micro stamping bill has been introduced in sacramento which would go about this a different way. One of the reasons that they couldn't get any guns with microstamping is because none of the manufacturers would would could build that into their assembly process. It'd be a huge disruption of your assembly line, you know, in any manufacturer to try and incorporate this new process into etching a number on your firing pin. Uh, and so now what the, the state proposed state law would do would allow a third-party vendor. Before it could be sold in the state, you would have to route the gun to a third-party vendor who would etch the trigger or the firing pin, and then then the gun could be passed along to be sold. Now that you know that raises all kinds of questions. They're not going to be able to. First of all, they can't do it. Second of all, even if they couldn't do it, they could do it. They can't do it fast enough to get the guns on the market in time. Third of all, you know if you get some guy, a gunsmith or whatever in there tinkering around with a gun that comes right off the manufacturer's assembly line, you just voided your warranty. You know, I mean, anything that, you know, the manufacturer is not going to stand behind a gun that somebody else tinkered with before it got to you. Right. There's a lot of different issues where obviously CRPAs and, and GOC's lobbyists in California are up there full-time fighting that and all the other slew of California laws that are, that have been proposed. But we'll have to see how that plays out. In the meantime, though, we're on appeal on that Bolin v. Bonta case, and CRPA is uh, fighting uh, to to keep that decision and keep and knock that roster law off the of books.
0: Are, are you surprised we haven't heard from uh, Judge Benitez yet um, with these other three cases? Because a lot of these are issues that he's dealt with before. These were cases <laughs> that he previously decided. That,
1: you know, the Ninth Circuit kicked him back down after Bruin. He, uh, he has uh, and he hasn't. He, he's dealt with the issue before the Bruin decision came down, and he dealt with it in, in uh, basically under Heller, uh, the common use test under Heller. But the state has thrown all these historical analogs. This is the obfuscation game that the states are playing in California, Illinois, and everywhere else. You know They throw, throw all these historical analogs in there, which by and large are not relevant because the historical Analysis has already been done in Bruin and Heller when it comes to common use of handguns, at least self-defense, at least. Uh, So there shouldn't be a need to do this historical analog test because it's been done, and they found there are no historical analogs. So your gun's in common use, so it should be, it's it is protected, and the state can't ban it. But but all that has to be. Judge Benitez knows that his decisions are going to be taken up on appeal. He knows they're going to be looked at across the country. And so I think he's just taking the time to get it right and really get into detail about, you know, why the state's laws are all unconstitutional and fail the Bruin test. Mm-hmm. Okay, that well, I think that's going to be meticulous because he's been picked apart. Oh, yeah. He's going to be picked apart, what his decision says.
0: I mean, Gavin Newsom has elevated him into, like, his personal villain, uh, you know, out there in California. So, no, absolutely. And And listen, I would rather... I I am I am slowly um accepting the idea that, that this fight is not gonna be as quick and easy as as I hoped it would be post Bruin. Um
1: Well the, it might get easier. It, we just have to build that body of, of decisions interpreting Bruin, and then once we get that right, then we can go faster. But there's still some struggle. Well there, to,
0: well there Well, there is and there's, there's also And we've seen some bad arguments, you know, um, the the judge in uh, Beavis versus Naperville, um, who declined to grant that temporary restraining order, basically said, yes, uh, you know, quote unquote, sole weapons are are nominally covered by the Second Amendment, but because they are dangerous, uh, dangerously unusual. Unusual uh, or unusually dangerous, dangerous right yeah, then, dangerous. then then it's okay to regulate them to the point of, uh, of prohibiting them
1: yes yeah, you got that test backwards it's supposed to be dangerous and unusual then you might be able to regulate them or ban them that's the historical approach if they were dangerous and unusual weapons or car- that that themselves were dangerous and unusual or were carried in a way that you know well they didn't they they wanted to regulate then you could do that. So typically, historically, they would ban concealed carry carry because they thought that was, you know, unmanly. They wanted you to have to expose the firearm. Obviously, we're in a different world now where they want it to be discreet. But the point is the the courts, they twist these these holdings in Bruin and and Heller to try and get to the ends that they want to get to. And that judge in Naperville just really didn't know guns enough to know or the Bruin test enough, frankly, to apply it right, she didn't have to do any of this historical analog. She didn't, ha- and and dang- unusually dangerous, is not what qualifies a gun to be banned.
0: Yeah, frankly, I don't, I don't really get the uh, whole unusually dangerous argument. Anyway, when we're talking about firearms, we are talking about inherently dangerous items. Um, there is yeah. a there is there is not a non lethal firearm, uh, right. and so I I don't get that. The, uh, the one of her other arguments was that well. You know, these guns are used in mass shootings. These guns are used in violent crime. But it seems to me like, Chuck, the Supreme Court has already foreclosed that argument in Heller when it said that banning handguns is unconstitutional. Handguns are the most common firearm used in crime. Uh, They are the most common firearm used in mass shootings. And the Supreme Court has said a ban on handguns is off the table. So why would that not apply to modern sporting rifles or
1: some automatic long guns? It should, but you have to remember Justice Thomas gave them, in his opinion in Bruin, gave states a little bit of leeway because he said, first of all, if your arm is covered by the plain text of the Second Amendment, then it's presumptively protected. The burden shifts to the state to prove why it's constitutional. They do that by showing historical analogs that show that the founding fathers and, and the folks who drafted the Bill of Rights. Would have tolerated the, the modern restriction or a similar modern a similar historical restriction, so this modern strict restriction would have been tolerated by the founders. Now that but then he said, if there are unusual technology, technological developments, or if there are unusual society new concerns, then it require, may require a more nuanced approach. Now nobody knows exactly what that means nobody knows if that means. You can be a little more flexible in accepting a historical analog, or you don't necessarily need one. The states are trying to drive a truck through that by saying that mass murder, quote unquote, they don't define how many that people that involves uh, is a new societal problem, which it isn't. Uh, you know, this goes back to the Boston Massacre uh, and before, uh, and and that uh, semi-autos are a new technological development than modern-day semi-autos that justifies the court allowing the state to take a more nuanced approach to showing these historical analogs. And the problem is, nuance, what does nuance mean? The, the, some courts want to drive a truck through that and make that very expansive so that no matter you know even the slightest little technological or societal change can justify almost abandoning the historical analog requirement that Bruin laid out pretty clearly.
0: Yeah. Amy of the Heritage Foundation, actually had a uh, Twitter thread about this a few days ago where she was going through mass shootings, uh, you know, in the early 20th century. Right. 1906, I think, was one. uh, 1910 was another. And, you know, these were individuals who were using uh, double barrel shotguns. They were using not, you know, modern sporting rifles, not semi-automatic firearms, but they were killing 10 people or more in some cases. Uh, In some cases, they were also uh, stopped by armed citizens. Uh, even way back then, it was a very revealing thread, but you're right. The idea that that this type of violence is somehow a um, a, a new thing or a you know unique uh, uh, effect of modern sporting rifles, I think, is is absolutely absurd. But again, as you say, we got to hold it. Yeah, we got to. But, but we got to fight it out in court. Um, so so the, the so we
1: change the only real change is that modern media and social media. Covers these things so much more extensively and so much more broadly yeah. that everybody knows about them. But statistically speaking, first of all, most shootings, uh, no matter how many people get shot, are done with handguns, and even the the uh, shootings with the semi-autos—that's like two percent of the of the crimes. So this is not about. I you know I, I saw a great. Uh, it's not about the gun. I saw a great quote the other day said uh, a bad guy with a rock uh, killed Abel, a good guy with a rock killed Goliath. It's not about the rock or the gun. It's about the people that are doing bad things or crazy things. Uh, But the legislators, that's a much more challenging problem. So they demonize the inanimate object and blame it on people who own those. Yeah, no, you're exactly right.
0: I mean, you know, when you start to try to fix a uh, broken mental
1: health system
0: or, you know, uh, well, and then we get into the issue of our Democrats really going to fix the criminal justice system or they're only going to make things worse. Um, You know, out in California, there's plenty of evidence that their fixes aren't uh, aren't helping at all. Uh, But that's probably a conversation for uh, another day as well. Um, What are you keeping your eyes on right now? Besides the cases that we just talked about, I know you've got a lot on your plate. So, uh, so so what else should governors be paying
1: attention to that, uh, that that's Maryland, on the horizon? Maryland, uh, Fourth, the Fourth Circuit, the yeah, uh, quote unquote a Sullivan's ban. That's been under submission for a while. And I think that's going to be the First Circuit Court that really uh, rules on uh, semi autos. Because uh, yeah, they could kick that case back down.
0: Right. Like the Ninth Circuit has done with a lot of cases. But they could also take this case and decide it on the merits themselves.
1: It seems like they're going to decide it on the merits. But I mean, yeah, you're right; they could conceivably kick it back down. But uh, that case was up at the Supreme Court, then remanded, like a bunch of them, with with mm-hmm. four other cases. Duncan with one of them, uh, and 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 reargued, and and it, it's not clear how the, the the three judge panel was coming down on that. But I, there there was some good signs. So yeah, we'll see. But I mean, that's going to be the first. First Circuit Court to address semi-autos directly. All right. Well uh, Assuming they decide on the merits and don't remand it, like you said. Yeah. Well, I, I,
0: I hope, and I, I too felt like uh, I did have a chance to listen to the oral arguments in that case, and I got the sense that the judges were ready to decide one way or the other. I, I, like you, I couldn't really tell what way they were uh, gonna fall down. Although I thought there were some hopeful signs, um, but it seemed like it seemed like a majority, at least two of the three judges. Felt like they could decide this issue; they didn't need to kick it back down to the district court. Um, so I hope that you're right about that. And I hope that we don't have too much longer to wait here, because yeah, it's been what four, four months, five months since that uh, oral argument was
1: held. It was December, yeah, yeah, yeah. All so right. Let me just mention uh, all uh, you know. This i put together this uh, con- collaboration of some of the best Second Amendment lawyers in the country uh, under the umbrella of the Second Amendment Law Center. And that group now is involved in all these cases across the country. So I'm just I'm not just in California. I'm I'm everywhere now. And so is uh, the other guys on that on that panel, Steve Holbrook and and dozens of other great lawyers with a lot of experience in Second Amendment Law. And so folks should take a look at that website, 2ALC.org or second amendment law center.org, and see some of the stuff we're doing and and maybe help us out because we wouldn't amicus briefs are going to be very important in all these states, and and Second Amendment Law Center has really kind of taken the lead on putting some of those together, and then filing the cases in chief. You know, uh, Hawaii just passed a, ba- a bunch of bad bills. Colorado is, is working on these. Washington State. This is all Bloomberg coordinated, pushing back against Bruin by trying to overwhelm us with a lot of new legislation that has to keep being challenged. And so we have no choice but to keep challenging it.
0: That's right. And uh, yeah, it is a supercharged moment for the Second Amendment. Uh, and again, uh, groups like the Second Amendment Law Center do need our help right now. 2ALC.org? Yes. All right. Chuck, listen, man, again, I appreciate you carving out a couple of minutes from a very busy day. And I look forward to doing this again in the very near future.
1: Absolutely. Keep I up the fight. Thanks for me again. Thank you, sir. Thank
0: you very much to Chuck Michelle for joining us on the program. and looking forward to having him back again here very soon. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, as well as our recidivist report. Uh, we'll start there with a uh, terrible situation out of Maine. Four people were killed at a home in uh, Bowden, Maine. Three others shot on an interstate. Now, police do have a suspect in custody, and as it turns out, This uh, individual has a violent criminal history uh, that stretches back, frankly, for decades. Uh, According to the Banger Daily News, this individual, 34 years of age, um, has a conviction in Florida for illegally possessing a firearm in 2018, in addition to a long and violent history in Maine. Uh, Joseph Eaton has convictions in Maine for assaulting a firefighter and a police officer, as well as for illegal drug use banger daily news says his criminal record dates back to 2013 he's been charged with a total of 15 different crimes before tuesday shootings according to a state police background check those crimes include felonies that prevent him from legally possessing a firearm under both state and federal law his most recent conviction was for an assault in 2021 on a fellow inmate 4 year old uh, Dustin James Bentley, who is currently serving a 40-year sentence for the murder of his roommate in 2019. Uh, that assault, a Class C felony, punishable by up to five years in prison. But uh, he also has convictions in Maine for assault on a child under the age of six, domestic violence assault, and operating under the influence of intoxicants. It's unclear uh, when Eaton was last released from prison, given that, again, he was convicted for an assault less than two years ago in a felony that's punishable by up to five years. So if the law had been applied, again, to somebody who already had a lengthy criminal history, to somebody who was already in prison when he committed this felony assault against his roommate, I think we've got to ask the question, what the hell happened here? Again, a a five-year sentence. I understand that maximum sentences are rarely handed out. I get it. I do. However, (laughs) we're not dealing with your garden variety criminal with maybe, you know, one or two charges to his name. This is, again, as an individual who has a lengthy, violent criminal history, and it appears has continued to receive breaks, even behind bars. And uh, slaps on the wrist instead of maximum sentences. We'll keep our eyes on um, this story and give you more details about Eden's criminal history uh, as it becomes available. Uh, Also today, our armed citizen story from uh, near Austin, Texas, where authorities say a resident tried to stop an intruder from gaining entrance into her home before she was forced to act in self-defense, shooting the man. This was about 5.30 Tuesday morning. Woman called uh, police reporting that a man was breaking into a home in northeast Austin. Uh, Corporal Destiny Silva said the female resident said that a male was banging on her door and that he was trying to knock the door down, and that she was trying to hold the door closed, so she 's still on the phone with nine one one dispatchers and then she reported, okay, now the guy 's trying to get in through a window and then she reported that the suspect had gained entry into the home. Silva said the last callers uh, or the caller's last update was that shots had been fired. Police arrived at 5.37 a.m., seven minutes after that 911 call was made. EMS arrived shortly after. Silva says the man accused of breaking into the home was pronounced dead at about 5.45, uh, calling it, quote, a very tragic incident, and one of the residents did shoot the male suspect in self-defense. Now, uh, a forward-start telegram says it's unclear how many people were in the home authorities have not said who shot the man, uh, no charges have been filed. They say an investigation is ongoing. But given the circumstances that Corporal Silva described, this would appear to be a clear cut case of self defense. And again, sounds like, you know, the folks inside that home, again, we don't know how many people there were. Uh, it could have been that the woman was there by herself. There may have been a roommate or somebody else uh, that she lives with who was able to uh, fire that shot. But again, they called 911. Right, They tried to keep that individual out of the home. They did everything that they could. And police, I'm sure, were speeding to that scene as fast as they could as well. But when seconds count, help can be minutes away. A seven-minute response time is actually pretty darn good. I'm not going to fault police for that. But seven minutes can be an eternity. When you've got somebody inside your house who doesn't belong there, God knows what their intentions are. I'm glad that nobody in the home was hurt. And again, we'll keep our eyes open for any more uh, developments and updates to this armed citizen story out of Austin, Texas. Finally, today, our good deed of the day in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A uh, gentleman known as Super Zupo. Yes, in uh, Boynton Beach, Florida, saving a woman from a, a car wreck uh, after a, a traffic accident. You can see the car there on fire, fully engulfed in flames. Uh, but thankfully, Again, Super Zupo, Leo Zupo, uh, who has a home improvement business that he calls the Super Zupo. He was in the right place at the right time, willing able to do the right thing. The uh, 39-year-old had just picked up a load of sand for a paving job back on April the 1st. When he saw this wreck actually happen, A uh, Oldsmobile sedan and a Volvo SUV uh, had sort of uh, crunched into one another. Um, The Volvo, he said, uh, looked to be okay. Driver was safe. So he looked at uh, what was going on in the Oldsmobile. Hood was peeled back. Zupo said he could already start to see flames uh, licking from the engine. Smoke pouring into the car. There was a woman who was motionless in the driver's seat. Uh, Zupo said everyone's jumping out of their cars for a quarter to take pictures with their phones. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. So instead of trying to get clicks and likes on social media, Zupo instead blocked oncoming traffic with his truck and then ran over to the Oldsmobile, They saw that the wreck had created a gap in the door jam, so he was able to grasp the inside of the door, start to yank as hard as he could, and then the door actually popped open, and that apparently startled the woman. I don't know if she was unconscious or just sort of dazed, but Zubo says she woke up. I told her we got to move pretty quick. She wasn't able to walk, so he was able to pull her from the burning vehicle. He basically dragged her to a nearby sidewalk. It wasn't long afterwards that the flames had fully engulfed the front of her car, Uh, Zupo said, I was just hoping nothing happens to me. He said, I have my son that's three years old and I just lost my own dad three months ago. But despite those concerns for his own safety and his own well-being, Zupo jumped into action, did the right thing. He said the woman later called to offer her thanks, along with a gift card to Longhorn Steakhouse. But he said, your thank you is plenty. He said he just hopes that more people offer a helping hand when given the chance, whether that means jumping into action or calling 911. He said, I just know I was there at the right time. And it's crazy that nobody else wanted to help. Everybody's quick to grab their phones and record. Yeah, and again, when you see a situation like that unfolding, don't just try to capture it on social media. Don't whip out your phone. I'm, I'm with I'm with Zupo, man. If you see somebody who's in need of help, you help. So, uh, I know that Leo Zuppo is not really a superhero, even though his home improvement is uh, called Super Zupo Home Improvement. But, uh, yeah, back on April the 1st, no fooling. Zuppo really was a uh, hero without a cape, and we thank him for his very, very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. I'm looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. Now, listen, we got plenty of uh, breaking news today. Permalist carry on the docket in Nebraska. Final vote for that uh, piece of legislation. Also, eyeing the courts, as we talked about with Chuck Michelle, because uh, you never know when some of these big opinions are going to be handed down. In fact, <laughs> we might get one between the time I talk to Chuck and the time this gets posted. You never know. Uh, if so, we'll get you caught up at BarryAndArms.com. I promise you that. And if you like what you see, I'd always encourage you to become a VIP member. Just go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks, we're going to give you exclusive content. New stories and analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support matters. And it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Enjoy the rest of your Humday Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.